everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nothing But Locks podcast. I'm your host, Ali Melnicki, accompanied by my favorite co-worker, Robert Kowalski. How are you doing today, Robert? Ali, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much. Let's uh, take a quick peek here and uh, start previewing uh, our week three that was uh, anything but boring. Oh, yeah, no. Maybe if anything was boring, it might have been last night's snooze fest between the Niners and the Broncos. That was about, I think the final, yeah, was 11 to 10 which probably was more more likely to be a baseball score than an actual football score. But, hey, it was still football. It was on, so I watched all of it. But before we do get into breaking down some of the marquee games that we went over last week that we previewed, Robert, what are we looking at for the weekend based on what fa- like what were the favorites records, what were the underdog records, over-under totals? What are we looking at? Right, yeah, the, the underdogs – uh, pretty much held court again, covering about sixty-five percent of games uh, from the closing line. Of course, the uh, the spread that was uh, mostly uh, up and down was that Jacksonville L.A. Chargers game, where uh, we stayed at seven, knowing that Herbert was going to probably be questionable if not out. Um, then one moment on Friday, just dropped completely out, went all the way down from seven down to three. Uh, and then, of course, an hour before game time, uh, we get word that, uh, no, he is going to play. So let's go ahead and actually bring that right back to where it was. Um, he probably should have just played. He should have just rested. Yeah, I agree. In fact, in my pick em pools, because our spreads locked, as you know, last Tuesday. So it was stuck at Chargers minus seven and a half. And I had switched it over to the Jaguars when I thought Herbert wasn't going to play. I wasn't going to trust Chase Daniel to to win the game for the Chargers. And then when they announced Herbert was going to play, I quickly switched it back to the Chargers minus seven and a half because that was my first instinct. I didn't want to be wrong with that. And I'm allowed to change my picks right up until game time. But I was surprised that not only did the Chargers lose, they just got blown out 38 to 10. Herbert definitely should not have played in that game. There was no reason for him to play in that game. They had a few other injuries. I believe Rashawn Slater got hurt in the game. So did Joey Boza. So they were hurting, but that was that was one of my surprises of the day. I lost that game. I lost the Bills. I thought they would cover. They did not cover. I thought the Patriots would cover. They did not cover. And I had an oh, I had the Commanders covering, which command that would just by the halftime that was definitely going to be the wrong pick because the Commanders just looked terrible. But it was another fun day. Like everyone knows, I'm an underdog better, so my week was good. I was 11 and four against the spread. I just mentioned my four losses. Tonight, I obviously have my New York Giants going into the game for office purposes. Not that I will be betting on the game because I already have too much invested. But let's not waste any more time. Let's go into some of the marquee games you and I talked about when we had our show last week for the preview. And let's start with last night's, as I said, snooze fest between the Niners and the Broncos. Robert, what did you see that game? Did you see more of the Niners just kind of let the Broncos hang in there till Russell Wilson just decided to come to life that last drive? What was your take from that game? Alex, this one was just so weird. I, I didn't expect it to go at the pace that they did. Uh, again, the recapping, of course, Denver closed as a one-and-a-half-point dog at home. They beat the 49ers 11-10. They won third downs 32-10%. to 10%. San Francisco didn't have any third down conversion. They were like one out of ten. Uh, really had nothing until late. Uh, they got outrushed 101-88. to 88. Turnovers, they uh, turned the ball over three more times. Then Denver did three nothing. Yardage kind of like right there. I mean, but still, 
San Francisco had 267 to Denver's 261. Uh, yards per play was 5-1 to 3-7. And then, I mean, both of them were one for one in the red zone. Uh, no one really had any kind of fourth down uh, attempt, so nothing to you know, you know complete those. Boy, Ali, uh, mostly slop, except you know, except for one that one drive each. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I was watching that game, and I kept looking at the time. You know, obviously, we are on the West Coast, so it's not as late as it was on the East Coast. But at one point, I was like, it's a quarter to eight, and we're still going on with this game. Like, And it wasn't even close to being over. It was just a very long, drawn-out game. Neither team looked like a playoff contending team. I will give the 49ers a little more benefit of the doubt because Jimmy G was his first week practicing with the first team. I don't think he practiced at all with them all during training camp nor the preseason, so he's going to be a little rusty. But my biggest take was, and I did pick the Broncos plus one and a half, I thought they would win or at least cover by one. I knew it was going to be low scoring and it was going to be close. But my big thing, Robert, is when Trent Williams went down late in the game for the Niners, that's when any kind of momentum they have just shifted. It was evident, I believe, after he went down, that's when Jimmy G got the safety. He took a big sack late in the game, I think, on one of the final drives. He also had that costly interception. So Trent Williams, to me, really was the big factor in this game once he went down i just don't think the niners had any kind of momentum they couldn't do they couldn't get any yardage his replacement i forget his name but he just came in and did not play well so for me this was more it was just who could who could survive this game i was not impressed at all again with the broncos they were being booed throughout the whole game which if i was a broncos fan i probably would boo them Nathaniel Hackett doesn't look like he belongs as a head coach in this league. Some of the decisions he was making were just mind-boggling. But my biggest thing, Robert, I want to ask you, are we finally seeing a regression from Russell Wilson? Because before the season when they acquired Wilson, at first I wasn't high on it because I've never been high on Wilson as some other people have. Then I started buying into, you know, this is the good team for him. He's really going to excel. But now he just really looks lost isn't even the right word. He just looks overmatched. He looks lethargic. And he looks indifferent, I think, is is probably a good word to say it. What are you seeing from Russell Wilson? You make a good point, Ali. I think I wanted to kind of give both teams the benefit of the doubt, you know, with, with you know, just call it like new quarterback, you know, undusting, you know, but you're, you're right. I mean, Garoppolo probably far more so as he really didn't have much of a training camp at all. And then he's thrust into the starting role once again. Uh, but Wilson, I mean... I don't know. Maybe, maybe the targets, the, the targets that are that are he's aiming for, it's it, they're just not reliable. I mean, I saw Judy literally had one thrown right into his hands right. that he dropped. I, I, I'm I'm wondering if it's really not him, and it's just not yet in sync uh, with the wide receiver room, which is really weird because we're in week three now. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna give him one more week. Um, uh, I, I think that San Francisco, obviously, uh, the, the preseason we had them as a, as a playoff caliber team, uh, and this was going to be uh, not an easy match despite them playing in Denver. So I am. I'm, I'm going to give I'm going to give Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos one more week to show us, uh, you know, a little bit more than 267 yards of offense. Yeah, and this week's really going to be telling. They play the Raiders this weekend, and the Raiders are just a team out of desperation. They're the only team in the league that doesn't either have a win or a tie. They're 0-3. 
I can't say I'm surprised. I'm totally surprised about the Raiders being 0-3. I, you and I both weren't high on them entering the season, but I didn't think they would be that bad. So the Broncos do need to turn it around and they need to turn around quick because the AFC West is still, in my opinion, the toughest division to navigate in. You still have the Chiefs, even though they had some fluke of a loss to the Colts yesterday. The Chargers, I'm not going to put too much stock into that loss yesterday, but they're still a very good team. So the Broncos, they're just not going to win games if you're just putting 11 points, 16 points, to, like they did the first two weeks on the board. This this team, it, you know, we're, we're Giants fans. We know what it's like to have a struggling offense, not be able to put up points. You're not going to be able to compete with the Chiefs. You're not going to be able to compete with the Chargers if this is what we're seeing. And for me, I agree with you. You know, I was high on Judy entering the season. I thought he would, with a solid quarterback like Russell Wilson, he would have a DK Metcalf kind of type season, but he's continuing to drop balls. But even so, I saw a lot of throws what Russell Wilson had to like Cortland Sutton or some of his other receivers where he just either overthrew him or he just wasn't on target. And I know Russell Wilson has never been one to show a lot of emotion, but I'm telling you, Robert, he's just, he looks so indifferent to me. He doesn't look like he cares that the booze are raining down on him. You know, he did step up that last drive, but if it's going to take the last drive of every game for him to show some life, should the Broncos be concerned at all? Like, is this a case of buyer's remorse? Yeah, uh, I, I, I think you're right, Ali. It's, they, they definitely didn't expect this type of a result, uh, you know, going into the final week of September. I, I would probably think that if, Things don't change drastically. I mean, look, defensively, they're they're doing they're doing well, right? And that's what's holding them in these games, right? Uh, and maybe that's what's kind of you know keeping the box from blowing open. Uh, although the you know really sharp fans that are our, you know in, in Denver, they they realize, hey, wait a second, you know we we've been waiting for a quarterback for how many years now? You know how long has it been since Payne Manning, and then even before that, and you know okay, we got him, we got Russell Wilson, and uh, well. Now, now what is this? Is this not going to work out again after giving him a, you know, a major, major contract? This could turn really, really ugly, really fast, Allie. Yeah, there's no backing out. They gave him the contract. It's almost like when they decided after what half a season to sign Brock Osweiler to that ridiculous deal. And they instantly regretted it. Or no, Osweiler went to the, the Texans. That's right. But with, with the Broncos, it just seems like they put all their cards in to Wilson, and I'm not going to say that was the wrong move because Wilson still, you know, he's only been in the league for, what, nine seasons? He still has plenty of football left in him. It's just this is a different Russell Wilson I'm seeing than I saw in Seattle, and I don't know if it's the coaching. Maybe we're not giving Pete Carroll enough credit that he deserves for coaching Russell Wilson and that, and that Seahawks team, but some of these plays, too, that Nathaniel Hackett is calling, like this could be a case where – if the Broncos continue to lose and struggle, he could be a one and done coach. We've seen it many times before just coaches come in, then management decides to move on from them after one season, there is going to be growing pains. He is the first year head coach, but the Broncos aren't going to get away with, you could get away with scoring 16 points against the Seahawks against the Texans, even though they did lose that Seahawks game, but you're not going to get away once you have to face the chargers and the chiefs by scoring only 16 points in a game. So if this team wants to go anywhere or even make the playoffs, they're really going to have to step it up. And it's not just in the passing game. I'm not going to throw it all on Wilson. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, they haven't been able to generate anything in the running game. And that's always been a key a key phase of their offense as well as been running the ball. So 
I think I, I'm, I'm with you. I'll give him another week. The Niners, I'm going to give a little more of a benefit of the doubt to let Jimmy G have another week under his belt. It is really tough to go into mile high and play. That altitude does affect opposing teams a lot more, I think, than most stadiums. So I will give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But it was such a, like, a snooze fest game last night. I really was looking forward to it. And I was actually at one point just waiting for it to end just because I was like, am I going to see any action? But we'll move on to a game that another game that I thought was going to be exciting, but that also turned out to be a little bit of a snooze fest. And that was the Packers and the Bucks. So Packers came out strong. I actually thought the Packers were going to win pretty comfortably. Their offense kind of flauntered in the second half. They didn't really put up much. The Brady did lead the Bucks into what could have been a game tying touchdown at the end, but they missed a two point conversion. Robert, what did you see in this game that stuck out to you for either team? Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I'm looking at this, and I did not expect uh, you know a team to score 14 points and win in this matchup. But uh, you know, Green Bay did close as a one and a half point dog uh, in Tampa, 14 to 12. The winners they won yardage 315 to 285. Their yards per play almost the same, 5.2 to 48. Their downs 40 uh, percent to 18 percent in favor of Green Bay. Uh, and then obviously you know, rushing, I'm not sure if this was expected. Uh, the, the rushing yards was 67 to 34. Uh, turnovers tied two apiece. I mean, Tampa's desperation touchdown was really the only trip to the red zone, the all game. Right. And the Buccaneers, you know, great defense, awful offense continues, Allie. Do you think we're going to see Rob Gronkowski come back at some point? Because – Listen, I know Mike Evans was out. Chris Godwin was out. Julio Jones was out. So he didn't have his top three receivers. But we've seen from time and time again, Gronk seems to be Tom Brady's go-to man. We have a feeling this is going to be Tom Brady's last season, though that is still always up for debate. Do you think we're going to see Rob Gronkowski at some point this season, Robert? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, not not in Tampa, not anywhere. I Heck, at this point, I don't even think uh, Rob Gronkowski can save Tampa Bay's offense. Yeah, it's going to take a lot more. You're right. Leonard Fournette, I thought, was going to step up big yesterday, and he only had 12 carries for 35 yards. I thought with the, I thought Green Bay, I thought their young guy, Romeo Dobbs, really stepped up. He, I believe he led all receivers in both receptions and in yards. So this is a, t- a Green Bay Packers team, though. I still think, Robert, they are a top receiver away from really competing in this NFC. What do you think? Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, Dobbs... Uh, he was targeted eight times. He caught all eight. Um, you know, looking at you know, just in, in general, like the, the wide receiver woes. I mean, look, Tampa's just been decimated there. I mean, they had to sign Cole Beasley, I think, on Wednesday, and yeah. he suited up, and you know, he was targeted four times. They, you know, can either of them benefit from you know getting more? I mean, any franchise can, I suppose. Uh, they're just going to have to make do. They they had months and months and months to prepare for this season. Um, I don't think you're going to go ahead and just bring in some magic elixir and suddenly you're, you're up in the 30s again. There's just some teams in this league now, Allie, that are just playing a different level of football than Green Bay and Tampa are. It's almost kind of like when I was watching the game and, you know, we, we had watched earlier the Miami and the Bills game, which we'll get to a little later, where even though that was kind of low scoring, there was still a lot of fireworks in it. But it almost seems, Robert, looking at Green Bay and Tampa, like they're yesterday's news. 
Like they were, they were the teams, you know, a year ago, two, three years ago that they were the best of the best. Now it seems like they just, they're just old. They took a step back. They didn't replenish with younger guys that really are going to make a difference. Is there any other way to put it than that? No, that's very well put. I mean, look, if there's there was a, a, a step in the game. Aaron Jones got hit at the Tampa Bay one and then fumbled it into the end zone with 202 to play in the second quarter. I'm looking at that. I would have had Green Bay up 20 to three. You know, since then, Green Bay had those four drives. They gained a total of 26 yards, zero first downs, and then a turnover. I mean, easy one now, you know, turning into a last drive of the game decider. So I, I honestly think that things. It, I guess it's cadence. I guess it's, you know, how the game ebbs and flows. Probably, I, I don't know what happened there. It's like they felt that they were that close to really starting to, you know, put their uh, foot down on the, on Tampa's neck. It just didn't work themselves out. And, I mean, look, they still escaped with a win against a team that's got, you know, really, really great defense, excellent set of, you know, defensive backs. It's just, you're right. You're right. You know, when you like you said, when you compare it to what Buffalo and Miami are doing right now, it does look like they're yesterday's news. Yeah, it just looks like they're a step behind their old. But before we do move on, because again, there's not much to talk about this game. The Bucks defense still looks great. So does the Packers defense. I don't think we had too many question marks about either of those coming in the season. It was more the offense. But do you think, Robert, is Todd Bowles the right head coach for the Bucks? Uh He's kind of one-dimensional. I mean, he's he's. I read an article. It said, you know, he said, you know, the missing players weren't really needed. Dumb mistakes led to the loss. I I, I think he's really just happy, and he's you know, resting on the fact that his defense is holding him, you know, tightly right now. And they'll figure, you know, what at, at some point, you know, in the season, everything balances themselves out. You can't win every game. You know, a whole lot of word salad alley <laughs> is yeah. he the right coach you know honestly is there anyone better though right now yeah I mean I was thinking more of this when I saw that they named Todd Bowles head coach in the offseason I was kind of like do they remember what he did with the Jets and that yeah. didn't work out yeah so for me though I I thought hey if it's Tom Brady if if you have a healthy Mike Evans a health, healthy Chris Godwin you don't really need to do much except kind of manage the game. So I guess that's why I figured they put in a defensive mind like Todd Bowles, but he just does look like overcoached at times. He looks like he leans on Tom Brady a little too much to make decisions on offense. And Tom Brady just doesn't have the assets. So I don't know. I don't think he was the right coach. I think they are missing Bruce Arians, but I don't want to spend too much time on this because it was, again, another snooze fest, and I want to get into more of the exciting games of the day. So we are going to move quickly to the the Bills and the Dolphins. I, I Let's just start with this, Robert. You know, I watched the Bills opening drive. They they stormed down, scored a touchdown. They, ha- they went up early, and then suddenly in the second half, they just totally collapsed. So what happened to the Bills, Robert? Yes, this one's a, a really amazing one that I didn't expect. I mean, I, I thought that we were going to see more points. You know, I, I thought that the winner was going to have to put up 30, uh, you know, to stay close. You know, and obviously with Miami closing, actually, this one opened up six and a half. Close the Dolphins plus four and a half. And the, obviously the upset was there, right? 21-19, uh, you know, turnovers. They won one nothing. Uh, Buffalo also had that fourth down failure in a red zone touchdown percentage. Miami scored 
a touchdown every time, three out of three to Buffalo's 50%, two out of four. Holy smokes, Allie. I mean, the Bills won yardage 497 to 212 on 90 plays to 39 for Miami. It's crazy. And he even outrushed them 115 to 41. It just 41 more plays. And, and the, the yardage, the equivalent, it just doesn't make any sense. So when Buffalo's second half, they had drives, you know, to the Miami 8, the 20, and the 1, resulting in three points. I'm really, really scratching my head over this one. Me too. I thought, especially from the first drive of the game, I was like, Bulls are, uh, Bills are going to win double digits. That That was my first impression. I really thought that. And then they were talking more on the broadcast about how humid it was and hot. And I will say some of the guys on the Bills looked gassed. And I do know the Bills were playing with a lot of injuries. Ed Oliver was out. They're still dealing with Jadaris White out on on defense. So they were missing a lot of their starters. But to me, still, that's no excuse because their offense, like you said, they did move the ball. And the defense did do a good job for the most part of shutting Miami down. Josh Allen had that bad strip stack. I believe it was in the first or second quarter that led to a Miami easy touchdown. But not a strip stack, but a fumble. But to me, I don't know. It just seemed like the Bills, maybe they played on short rest. The humidity got to him. But they just couldn't capitalize or close it out. Because like you said, you read the box score. And you would think the Bills would win by double-digit points. And then you see the score. They did have some problems with time management. We saw at the end of the first half, they faked the, they faked the spike instead of taking a field goal. They just threw it out to Stephon Diggs, which didn't make any sense. He wasn't going anywhere except getting five more yards and time expired. And then we saw on what should have been the game-winning drive, they just totally they totally snubbed that because uh, I believe it was Gabriel Davis who caught the ball. He just couldn't get out of bounds. They didn't get it set up in time. And we saw the, the video that went around the world of just the, the bills offensive coaches in the, in the box, just tearing it up. They were so upset, but I don't know, Robert, I, maybe this is just a blip in the radar. Miami caught the bills on a short week. Is there any concern you see for the bills? Yeah. I, I, I mean, look, they definitely had a lot of defensive injuries going into it. You know, I, I don't want to hear anything just uh, about the heat. They had the Miami had to play with the heat as well. I mean, and after right. all, you know, you missed a 38 yard field goal. I mean, what did the kick did the kicker wilt? I mean, he was just sitting there in, in, in an air conditioned seat the whole time before he had to line up. I, I don't, you know, very tough for me to make a case, uh, you know, losing, you know, when, when you out yard them 497 to 212. Just take the L, move on, get better, and do what you're supposed to do and, you know, win this AFC. Yeah, which brings me to my next question, Robert. For for the Dolphins, do you think they're now favored to win the AFC? Is this team going to be the number one seed in the AFC? No, no, no. I, I still have Bills number one by a, a large margin. I, I, I'm, I'm just throwing this one away. Again, learn, learn your lessons from what happened here and get better. Uh, you know, in, in every facet, you know, from top to bottom, uh, this definitely should have been a win for him, even in the, the least of concerns. Uh, you know, so I would still go Bills, then Kansas City. Uh, haven't really talked at all much about Baltimore. Baltimore's got to be like third at this point. 
they're they're really really good. Then I would probably put Miami in the same packet as uh probably the Chargers and the Dolphins. Yeah, that's so I put them top five. Yeah, that's that's fair. And I'll be the first to say I was wrong about Miami. I thought that they would suffer through some growing pains. I thought we were going to see kind of like an Arizona type controversy or just drama, I should say, not controversy. But Tua's really stepped up and he's really growing into a strong quarterback. I don't know if that has to do more with his receivers between Jalen Roddle and Tyreek Hill. They're probably one of the most dynamic tandems in the entire league. But what are you seeing from Tua? Do you do you see him as the franchise player they drafted when they drafted him number five overall, or is he just benefiting from great players around him? What are you seeing from Tua? Uh, I think I, not not only is it the great players around him, but it's the coaching. I think that is the yeah. biggest factor in how he's developed. And I mean, we've seen you know some quarterbacks develop overnight. You know, much like we saw with. Uh, with Allen, but I, I think that's exactly what we're seeing here with, uh, with with Miami. I think that's the full development happened in the offseason once the coaching staff came on board. And I will say the Dolphins did get a lot of criticism when they did fire Brian Flores. A lot of people thought he was the right coach for the job, but there was whispers in the clubhouse that him and Tua just didn't see eye to eye, didn't get along. So I credit the Dolphins for getting a coach that seems to really know how to work with Tua and get this offense on track. I will say I'm impressed with Tua. My biggest criticism always of Tua that I had before he came in the league was he's always injured. And then at one point he did get injured yesterday. I thought he was going to miss the entire game. He came back after only missing, I believe, one drive. I know the NFL is investigating that, that maybe he they might have not done the correct concussion protocol. But my biggest criticism for Tua was that he's always injured. If he stays healthy... He's definitely a top 10 quarterback in this league. I'm not going to put him in a top five situation, not even top seven, because I can name seven, eight quarterbacks at the top of my head who I would take over to right now. But if he continues this progress, he's going to blossom into a franchise quarterback. Again, we still have a small sample. It's just been three weeks into the season, and he really didn't play that great against the Patriots in week one. Last week, he had the game of his life. Yesterday, he pretty much just did what he had to do. He benefited from a lot of short drives, like I said, with Josh Allen fumbled deep in in Miami, deep in the Bills' own territory. Miami got a a short yardage there. But I will give two a credit where credit's due. So let's move on to another, another game that just perplexed me, and that was the Chiefs and the Colts. I had the Colts covering. I think both you and I liked the Colts to cover that six and a half number. This is a team playing with desperation. They were 0-1-1 entering the game. But I didn't see the Chiefs winning. So, Robert, how did the Chiefs manage to lose this game? This is the uh, – I like to look at this is the misleading box score of the yeah. year so far. Uh, you know, Kansas City, uh, 5.2 yards per play to 3.8. Uh, the Chiefs in the second half had drives to the uh, Indianapolis 2, 24, 16, and 40 – resulting in three total points, right? Colts benefited on a four-yard touchdown drive following the Chiefs' muff punt. Uh, there was the, you know, the costly fourth-down penalty on Jones to extend the Colts' drive. Just such a weird, weird game. Um, this this should have been Chiefs by 10. Yeah, I mean, when I was, you know, I was watching NFL Red Zone, so it was going back and forth between all the games. But it seemed every time they would put the Chiefs and Colts on, 
the Chiefs were about to drive, the Chiefs were about to score, and then something would happen. You know, they tried to have that field goal that they just flubbed the fake field goal, and it did not work out for them. Like you said, that fourth and 14th unsportsmanlike penalty really killed the Chiefs. It just seemed the Chiefs had every reason to win, but then they found every reason to lose. I wasn't impressed with the Colts' win. I Even though they got their win, they can probably rest easy now in Indianapolis. No, they're not going to go winless. But for me, Matt Ryan still looks old. He still struggles. He, he fumbled twice. He lost one. Jonathan Taylor still looks non-existent in the rushing game. How concerned should we be about the Colts, Robert? Quite. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, it's they still look, the Colts still look very sluggish offensively. You know, they were helped by that really early, you know, very cheap four-yard touchdown drive. In Kansas City, they did struggle as well. You know, they had some, you know, some cheap, uh, rather cheap touchdown drives of 21 and 35 yards. This was even more of a defensive struggle than 20 to 17 made, made it seem, Allie. I mean, even, I, I don't know. Kansas City, you know, they had that backup kicker. He missed a point after. He missed that short 34-yard field goal try. This this should have been a Kansas City win, and today we would be talking about a completely different look for the Colts, you know, instead of them escaping with a win right now. Escaping is the correct word because, like I said, just because the Colts win, they shouldn't be proud of themselves. It was an ugly win, but a win is a win, so I will give them the credit. But, you know, what do you think about the Colts now? Does this give them some momentum, Robert, or is it just they got a lucky win? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going with very, very fortunate win. Uh, if we take a peek at the Colts to win uh, the AFC, again, uh, it just, just, just in reviewing what I had, we were taking a look at where we put Miami. They're, you know, behind Miami, obviously, still. You know, I'd, I'd have Bills 1, Chiefs 2, uh, Baltimore three, and then uh, the next pack, the next tier, I guess we could call it, would go Chargers, Broncos, and Dolphins. Uh, and, and then after that, we would look at, uh, you know, the Colts. And this is just to win the AFC. It's not even to win the Super Bowl, right? So actually, I even have the Bengals, you know, who, who obviously got very healthy against the Jets. Uh, I even have them with better odds to win the AFC than the uh, than the Colts, rather. Do you think the Chiefs need to do anything on offense, Robert? We know they don't have Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey is still their number one guy, even though he's not a wide receiver. But they do have Juju Smith-Schuster. They do have the rookie Sky Moore, who was the one that muffed the punt. Do the Chiefs still need to add a veteran receiver to their core? No, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think they have a, a capable wide receiver room. Uh, I, I think what happened here is just a lack of execution. I, and I don't know where that lies. Most of the time when you know you have the talent and you know that they're sharp and they missed that sharpness, that goes back to the coaching staff, actually. Yeah, I I don't know. For the Chiefs, I still think they'll be fine. They know how to do it. They're a professional team. But for me, the Colts, I just never I don't think I've seen a team that I've been more disappointed with to start the season. That wasn't my own team. The Colts literally thought they were a quarterback away from making a deep playoff run they were one win away from making the playoffs last year they had to win one of their final two games and they didn't matt ryan did we just forget how or did we miss how bad he regressed because the falcons have been so terrible the last few seasons robert has he really been regressing this much and because the falcons haven't been on national tv 
in the past few years, we missed it. What are you seeing with that? You're, you're right, Allie. That's a good point. I, I didn't think about that. But yeah, he was aging and aging quickly right before our eyes and no one noticed it. Uh, and, and now he's brought into a, a franchise that is expected to uh, make the playoffs and make a deep run. And uh, no, it's not not the case at all. How yeah. how does this happen? You, you have a team run by Carson Wentz. You know, Taylor basically seemed unstoppable. I don't see what changed there. Uh, and when you bring in Ryan, he changed the scheme. And now it's it's just, it's it's gone backwards. It's gone backwards. I actually think they would have been better off with Carson Wentz now. It's hard to say, but then when you see Carson Wentz and how he got sacked nine times against the Eagles yesterday, you're like, oh, I guess we'll pick your poison. What would have been worse? But again, you mentioned it last week. They do have Nick Foles waiting there. And I can tell you, if Matt Ryan continues to struggle the next few games, there is going to be clamoring for him to get benched. You know, I don't care that he was a Super Bowl quarterback. He is up there in age. He's showing his age. And this Indianapolis fan base, they're not just going to sit and, com- and be complacent. I can't tell you one person that's probably happy right now in Indianapolis that sees the Jacksonville Jaguars at the top of that division. That's just ridiculous and unheard of. So Indianapolis, they're, they have more problems than the Chiefs. Chiefs, it was just a fluke loss. I agree with you there. They should be fine. So we are on the other side of time. because So I do want to bring up some of our next segments that were hit last week. We got really good feedback off of them. So we're going to start with some hot takes. So I have some takes that I've been hearing in the past 24 hours on the different shows that people are talking about. And I want to see, Robert, whether or not you agree with them. So let's start with the first one. Are the Raiders the most disappointing team at 0-3 in the league? And I, I, they are. They are. Um, yeah. Allie, teams that beat the Raiders are 0-6 in their other games, getting outscored by 16 per game. Um. You know Tennessee, they they beat Vegas. Like they call it an upset. I don't I don't know. I I thought that the favorite was was the incorrect favorite. You know from the bookmaker. I agree perspective. with you. I had Tennessee. Um, third third downs. You know the, the Raiders were one for twelve on third down. It's just that was just pure sadness. Uh, red zone touchdown percentage. They were two out of six. Uh, Tennessee was three of three. Turnovers were even one apiece. Uh, Tennessee did have that fourth down failure. Uh, end of the day, you know, Raiders one yardage, you know, by about 30, 396 to 361. Um, Tennessee had 24 first half points, none in the second half. Um, and uh, Raiders are 0 3 now. Um, yeah, they have to be the most disappointed, definitely the most disappointing in the AFC. Uh, they're the most disappointing, period. I know we just talked about how I said I've never been more disappointed in the Colts and how they started, but the Colts, they at least do have a win. They do have a tie. They have one loss. The Raiders to be 0-3, I said at the beginning of the show, I'm not totally surprised that they started the season out with a losing record. I didn't expect 0-3. And they don't have an easy schedule coming up. They don't have an easy schedule in general because they do play both the AFC, all their teams in the AFC West, and then they have to play the NFC West as well. Like, Robert, if you look at their schedule coming up, besides them having to play their, besides them having to play the Bucks, they got the, I mean, not the Bucks, the Broncos, they got the Chiefs coming up. Then they get a little pass with the Texans. Then they have the Saints. They, they don't have the easiest schedule 
out of any of the teams. So this is a team that if they get five, six wins, that might be a good year for them, considering they're starting the season 0-3. What are you thinking? Ouch. This is for the Raiders, Ali, yes? Yep. Uh, no, they're, they're obviously, I mean, there's a good chance they'll probably be a small favorite, you know, on, on close when they host Denver. They'll be at least a touchdown dog to Kansas City. Then it's a bye. They'll come back and play the Texans. They should win that game as a right. big favorite. Uh, they could lose at the Saints. They could lose at Jacksonville. Yeah, because Jacksonville's uh, good now. You know, they, they'll probably be a small favorite to the Colts, all things considered. Back to Denver. Uh, at Denver, they'll probably be a dog. At Seattle, maybe a small favorite. Um, outside of the game against Houston in Week 7 that they host the Texans, they're, they're not a big favorite to anybody. Right. And most of the time, they're a dog. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how we had them at nine wins. Uh, you know, some some places creeping nine and a half. I, I, I see seven right now, maybe even less. That was the problem for me before the season started. Even though they got Devontae Adams and they talked him up, for me, the problem still was Derek Carr. Derek Carr, I love him. I really do. I think he's a great guy. I don't think he's going to ever lead your franchise to a deep playoff run. He makes way too many mistakes. He seems to cower when it comes to pressurized situations. This is a team where, too, they they got Devontae Adams in the offseason. And besides week one, he's really been a non-factor the last two games. I know he got a touchdown yesterday, but I think he only had about 30-something yards. I know that because he's my fantasy top fantasy wide receiver, and he's really disappointed me the last two weeks. But for me, I agree with you. I think the Raiders... They are by far disappointing. I think they would have been one of the last teams I would have picked to start the year 0-3. The fact that the Seahawks, the fact that the Falcons all have wins over over the Raiders. The Texans even have a tie, at least, over the Raiders. It, right. it just it surprises me. I don't want to blame Josh McDaniels because the Raiders have been in games. They, they haven't lost a game by more than one score. So they have been within games, but they just can't seem to either close it out or if they fall from behind too early, they can't seem to come back. So I think we are going to see some adjustments. Josh McDaniels will have his team. He will turn the team around, but this could be a disappointing 5-6 win season at best. I don't see them topping seven wins. I don't see them topping eight wins. Just looking at the schedule right now, they'll be lucky, I think. If they if they get to six wins at this point, I think that's that's their max. But I could be proven wrong. Maybe they do turn it around. I just don't see it as long as Derek Carr is the quarterback. So let's move on to another hot take. We saw the Saints struggle yesterday against Carolina. It's the second straight week that the Saints really struggled the entire game. Not just that, they 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 struggled week one against Atlanta and somehow was able to turn around the second half and come back. So for the Saints, Robert, will Andy Dalton be the starter for them this weekend in London? Oh, my God, that's like super blazing hot. <laughs> I would no, I, I would say no. I mean, look, there's no long-term solution in place at quarterback. I think in in New Orleans, they they their offense definitely has no rhythm. We know that. That's we saw that that to open games, they just it, it's just really weird. Uh, and I'm not really sure if if it's just a lack of preparation, but you you look at what they've done offensively they already have nine turnovers lost in their right. first three games you're not going to win games you're not going to win you you you're you're getting three turnovers uh, a game there's 
you're you're setting yourself up for a loss every single time. Yeah, this is all this is all around. I mean, even even Kamara's really just running into roadblocks. He's he's not getting the holes like he used to, and I I think that it's he's uh, Dalton this weekend. No, <laughs> but if this this continues to fall, look, I actually think it's going to be just Winston every single week unless he gets injured and knocked out. Um, because you put an Andy Dalton, you're basically raising the white flag on the entire season. Yeah, I would agree with you right there. I do think that Andy Dalton will take over because I think Jameis Winston is going to eventually get injured. He He's already showing signs. I believe he got injured a little bit in the game this past weekend. But I said going into the season, I didn't pick the Saints to make the playoffs. I actually took their under on their win total because my main concern it wasn't even Jameis Winston. It was Dennis Allen, the head coach. I talked about how he, he has a career, I believe, 8-28 and 28 record as a head coach back when he was the Raiders head coach. I didn't think he was the right person to take over a Saints team in this kind of transition. Michael Thomas coming back from injury, Jameis Winston coming back from injury, drafting Chris Olave, signing Jarvis Landry. It's a lot of rebuilding for a team that he's technically unfamiliar with. I know he's been on the staff for a few years now, but it's one thing to be on a staff and have your particular area that you coach. And it's another to coach the entire team. So I think he's in way over his head. I think the coaching has a lot to do with it. I don't think Dennis Allen is the right guy for the job. And I agree with you. I think even if Andy Dalton eventually takes over as starter from Jameis Winston, we saw when Andy Dalton took over as starter when Dak Prescott went down. The Cowboys still weren't any good. Dalton's not the answer. I think the Saints, they're pretty much in just a limbo-type year. They'll win some games, they'll lose some. I don't see them as a playoff team at all especially if they continue to turn the ball over like they do. So, no, I don't think Andy Dalton will be the starter this week, but I do think he will be the starter at some point in the season just because I hate to say it, but I think Jameis Wilson will get injured at one point. So one more hot take before we move on to our buy and sell section. Robert, who's to blame in Arizona? Is it Cliff Kingsbury? Is it Kyler Murray or other? Oof. Um. Murray, Murray, yeah. While he threw for like over 300 yards, I mean, he definitely had several throws he sure wishes he had back from Sunday. Uh, there, there was that incomplete pass to Brown on fourth and four from the Rams 26. There was still 11.35 left, and the Cardinals were trailing by 11. That, that I think that was kind of where the, the turning point was starting to happen. I mean, they, they trimmed it down to 13 to 9. I think with like five minutes left in the third, you know, the defense was solid for, for most of the game. They were unable to stop, you know, the Rams offense on, on the ensuing drive. So the big play there, we remember, was the 11-yard completion from Stafford to Cup on right. third and 11. Um, I don't know if he's missing, uh, you know, all of his arsenal, Murray, that is. I, I honestly think that at this point, that, that's probably why they're losing is that, you know, Kyler Murray's just not making the, the most poised decisions that he's had, you know, as we've seen him in, in years past. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Murray accepts all the blame. I predicted this coming into the season that so, heads were going to roll. I didn't like how Murray handled his contract situation where he had the clause in about he had to watch film study. It got publicized. He didn't agree with it. The Cardinals kind of 
buckled at their knees and took it out of took that verbiage out of the contract. I don't think Kyler Murray's a leader. I've been saying it for the past few shows. I said it in the summer. I think he I he just looks not he doesn't even look yeah, I guess indifference the right word. It doesn't look like he cares when he makes a mistake. He doesn't show any sense of urgency that I see ever. I don't see him motivating his team. I don't see him on the sideline really getting with the players, talking things over. He just looks like he's there to collect a paycheck, if that sounds accurate. What do you think, Robert? Uh you're you're on you're on Ali. I I I not much more to add right there. I I look it's it's tough enough to to be in a division that Arizona's in, but I honestly think that this is it, it it's laying out the way we expected it to. Yeah, it's sad, but unfortunately for the Cardinals, they have they have Kyler signed to a long-term deal. They're with him yep. for a few more years. Might help once De- DeAndre Hopkins comes back because he does have good chemistry with DeAndre Hopkins. But his career can't rely on whether DeAndre Hopkins is in your, is in your lineup or not. The Cardinals still went out and got a Marquise Brown. They they still have Zach Ertz there at tight end. I know Rondell Moore is injured, but he'll be back soon. But for me, Kyler Murray, again, doesn't look like a leader. Doesn't look like he can motivate a team. So I don't see any success with Arizona, obviously not this year. And they might have growing a lot of growing pains for a year to come. This is a team that might have to get blown up and start rebuilding all over again. So let's get into our next segment, which I will say was a huge success last week. I got a lot of great feedback about it. And that's our buy or sell section. So I'm going to give Robert one of either the overreactions and underreactions I've been hearing, and he's going to either buy it or sell it. So, Robert, let's start with number one. Jalen Hurts will be named the league's MVP this season. Buy or sell? Uh, sell. Uh, look, he's he's making history early, you know, but so is Lamar Jackson. Allen's still here. Mahomes is still here. Um, boy, that one's tough. I'll sell that for now. I'm selling that one too. Again, the Eagles have surprised me to start the year. I didn't think they would be as good as they were. I will sell it in that they are three and zero, but they are three and zero against some of the three really worst defenses in the league. Washington has a terrible defense. Detroit has a terrible defense. So does Minnesota. I want to see what Jalen Hurts can do against some competition. Fortunately for them, the Eagles do have a pretty relatively easy schedule coming up, so we won't see that. Every game I've watched, he just has wide-open receivers. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith are just open nonstop. And the lanes that they create, anyone can pretty much throw them throw to them. I'm not going to take anything away from Hurts, but it has only been three games. I mean, we saw last year Sam Darnold start the year out 3-0 and with the Panthers, and everyone was saying the Panthers were going to be uh, a contender for the playoffs and then they just totally fell flat. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to be premature. I, like you said, I think Lamar Jackson's in the front running for MVP as is with Josh Allen, even though they had a bad game. So I'm going to sell Jalen hurts as MVP as well. All right, Robert, next one, buy or sell the Jaguars will win the AFC South. Oof. Uh, no, sell. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Um, right. Clearly. Leading a division right now, uh, point differential, you know, kind of tells otherwise that I should be buying, uh, but I'm diving deep right into the buyer's market then. <laughs> yeah, I'm selling this one too. I do think the Colts will turn it around, even though it might be painful. 
But for me, the Jaguars, they have two wins. They really capitalized on teams that was missing a lot of their starters. I mentioned how the Chargers were missing many of their pro ball players yesterday. Justin Herbert absolutely did not look 100%. He shouldn't have been on the field. The week prior, they did play the Colts, and the Colts were missing several starters. Michael Pittman, Shaquille Leonard, just to name a few. So I don't want to put too much credit, even though it looks like Doug Peterson has done a good job with Jacksonville. I think they're going to have a nice ride. They're definitely going to be much improved. They are surpassing my expectations, but I'm going to sell. I still think you can't sleep totally on the Titans. They seem to have a little momentum. Derrick Henry had a big game yesterday, so they still have a running game to rely on. I'm going to sell as well. All right, next one, Robert, buy or sell. Allen Robinson will finish the season with a career low in receptions. Hmm. Yeah, I'll buy. I'll buy this. Um, I can't believe a month ago I said he's going to have a career year, actually. Yeah, I thought um, so, too. That's why I drafted him on my fantasy team. Oh, very target. much let down. <laughs> I mean, all right, he, let's see here. His targets. Oh, my God. No, all right, yeah, he's. I'll buy it. Um He's like third choice now after three weeks. And man, the targets he got in Chicago in 19 and 20. He's going to get like half of what he would get in one of those seasons. Yeah. I'll it's, buy. I'll buy. What, what, what happened, so Alan? <laughs> it's so sad. It's such a waste of talent. And I don't really blame Alan Robinson too much because I have watched the Ram games. And it just seems like Matt Stafford has just way too much chemistry with Cooper Cup. He's always going to look Cooper Cup's way. And he just has better better chemistry with some of the other receivers on the team, especially Tyler Higby, his tight end, some of the other guys. I don't know. It just it baffles me because we all thought Allen Robinson was going to come to this team. And like you said, he was going to have a career. He was going to be the solid number two. I actually thought he was going to take a lot of receptions away from Cooper Cup because defenses would learn by now to double team cup and that leaves Robinson wide open. Why Matt Stafford isn't targeting him as much as he should just baffles me. Maybe that changes as the year goes on, but for me, I'm going to buy this one right here and it's unfortunate for my fantasy team. I'm going to keep Robinson on the bench. Hopefully it changes (laughs) in the next few weeks, but I'm with you. Okay. Next buy or sell Robert, the Browns will make the playoffs. No, no, no. Sell. 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 All of it. Every share. I refuse. I know they look great Thursday. You know, their their running attack is is basically full throttle every single time. All right, let me take a look at the rest of their schedule. One, two. Uh, big one there. Houston. All right. Six, seven. So seven games the rest of the season as a small favorite. Houston, they'll be like a six-point favorite if everything plays out right now. But even if they win like all of these games that they're favorite in, that's like nine wins, which is like awesome. You know, for a, a Browns franchise that we, you know, really had no idea how their quarterbacking would go. That looks like it doesn't really matter. Um, but I, I think in a in a in a talented AFC, I don't think even nine you know, gets you there. So, nope, I'm selling. I'm going to buy this one, actually, because I think if Deshaun Watson comes back and the Browns are either above 500 or right at 500, then Deshaun Watson is going to lead them into the playoffs, and it's going to be 
the storybook ending that many of us don't want to see, but it's going to happen. Deshaun Watson's going to ride in, come save the day. Listen, the Browns should be 3-0 right now. If they didn't blow that late game to the Jets right now, they would be 3-0. They have Atlanta coming up this weekend, which should be a win for them. I say should. That doesn't mean it will. They have the Chargers who are beat up right now. We don't know what the Chargers are going to look like when they face them in two weeks. New England, they're not that good. Mac Jones is hurt now. We might be seeing Brian Hoyer for Brian Hoyer for the indefinite future. So the Browns definitely have a schedule on their side. They'll probably lose to Baltimore. They'll probably lose to Cincinnati. And then they get and then when they get Deshaun Watson back, yes, they have a tough schedule that the second half of the year. They have Miami, they have Buffalo, they have Tempe, but Houston's a winnable. New Orleans is winnable. Washington's winnable. Pittsburgh's winnable. This team could, I think, get 10 wins, and I think that's enough to get them for, into a wild card. So I'm going to buy right there. I think that people forget the Browns. They have Nick Chubb, who I think is the best running back in the game. They have a solid defense that can really silence you. Kobe Brissett is a good game manager. He's going to get you through. I'm buying this one. All right, let's move on to our second to last buy or sell. So, Robert, buy or sell. Baker Mayfield will be benched before midseason. I'm buying. I'm buying. Yeah, I mean, look, the Panthers were able to get the win on Sunday, um, but it wasn't because of Baker Mayfield. Right. right? That's that's for sure. You know, I, I I don't know. Through through the first three games, I I don't think that. I, I don't think that we've seen anything good come from Baker Mayfield just yet. Um, and, and I'm not really quite sure what's going to change the rest of the way. They already have an uphill battle because their their schedule is loaded with far better talent. They're going to be dogs most of the way. Um, they're going to look for answers, and it's probably not going to be, you know, with questions aimed at him. So I would say, yeah, um, we'll we'll see him benched. I hate to say it, but I agree. I'm going to buy this one as well. Even though I was so high on Baker Mayfield, I thought he was really going to come in and have the season of his life. He's playing for a contract. He's a free agent at the end of the year. But he's just looked awful. And you said it yourself. Besides a fluke 67-yard pass on on just coverage that broke down to Chanel yesterday, he, he had another bad game. And he's not utilizing his receivers enough. It's another mistake I made. I have DJ Moore in my fantasy, and DJ Moore just is now fantasy irrelevant right now. I don't know what it is if Baker's just still not comfortable yet. If we already saw his peak back in the 2020 season when he led to the Browns to the playoffs, I don't know what it is. He just he it looks like he just has no accuracy at all. He doesn't look comfortable in the pocket, and it's not an easy schedule for them coming up. They'll play the Cardinals this weekend, which they have a a chance at winning, not a great chance, but they have a chance at winning, but then they're going to lose to the 49ers. They're going to lose to the Rams. They're going to lose to the bucks. This is a team where I could see by the time that the Panthers play the Falcons on October 30th, that we're going to see Sam Darnold back making a start. So I'm with you. If Baker doesn't step up quickly, he's going to get benched. Matt rule is still playing for his job. He's not going to wait for Baker to play for his job. Matt Rule is going to want to save himself. So I think we're going to see Sam Darnold probably be- probably before the, the Panthers bye week. All right. And then the last one we have, we kind of hinted at it earlier, but I'll put it out there again because, again, I we were hearing it yesterday after the Bucks lost. Buy or sell, Robert, Rob Gronkowski will unretire again. <laughs> no, I'm selling. 
selling all those shares. No, no, no. Uh, definitely, he's not going to Tampa, and if he's not going to Tampa, he's not going anywhere. Um, yeah, I'll agree. I'll he, sell he can't, that. He can't save that offense, so no, sell, sell, sell. Yeah, I think that the only way we would see Gronk come back is if Tampa was just on fire, if they were lighting up defenses again, and Rob Gronkowski would basically come back week 12, week 13, catch a few balls a game, and make his way to another Super Bowl. This team is far from being a Super Bowl contender. I think Rob Gronkowski sees it. They're not going to be competing. He, Like you said, he's not going to save the offense. It would be different if if they had a healthy st- if they had a healthy core if they were blowing people out not just scratching by so I'm with you on that and before we do sign off we do have a few more minutes so you know I wasn't gonna spend an episode without talking about my New York Giants because or our New York Giants because they do play tonight Robert real quick what are we looking at what's the final odds as we enter into Monday Night Football. Yeah, right. So uh, over a week ago we opened this up with New York as a two and a half point favorite. Got bet down a bit, bet back up, and now it's bet down. It's been steady for the past five days. New York Giants are going to be a one-point favorite. The total coming down to 38-and-a-half now, Allie. Yeah, I'm all over the under again tonight. I was all over the under, actually. Let's just quick side note. Was there a worse bad beat, Robert, on Thursday night's game with that under? <laughs> no. I just got to yeah, bring not- that up because for our office pool purposes, <laughs> I thought I had that in the bag. And then I just watched as one of the worst bad beats I ever seen just happen. It's so true. Not it's looking more the same now. Another under here for the Monday night game. Michael Gallup looks like he's just been uh, uh, downgraded to doubtful Monday now. It doesn't look like his knee's going to hold up. And this is just like an hour, hour young news. So uh, it's probably leaning towards the under because of this news right now. Yeah, I'm all I'm all over the under for this one. I still like my New York Giants. I still think that we wreak havoc on Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush had his good game last week. We have our two pass rushers, I believe, coming back tonight. We got to see Kayvon Thibodeau finally play. I think he's going to make a big difference. And Daniel Jones, basically, he just has to not give the ball away. That's number one. I think Saquon's going to have a really good game against the Cowboys. I think he's going to. We're going to see the Saquon we saw Week One against the Titans. Run the ball, keep the possession, favor to you, and I think the Giants pull it out. What's your prediction? Go Giants. There we go. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today, but we will be back on Wednesday. We'll give you our week four preview. We'll preview Thursday night football. I know we have a good one coming up this week with the Bengals playing on Thursday night, and we have some London games to preview this weekend. So before we sign off, Robert, any last thoughts? Oh, no, it's going to be – like I said, of all the things that we've looked into from weeks one, two, and three, we'll build on to that going into week four. Obviously, uh, power ranks have been updated pretty significantly as we start to see just exactly who's built for the playoffs and uh, who's probably looking for, uh, once again, spending a first-round pick on a quarterback alley. All right. Well, everyone, until Wednesday, we thank you for joining, and we will see you then. Go Giants. <laughs>